you reading the word of God however you're able. That's what matters. John chapter four, we continue in this Believe and Live series in John, which is all about Christ. And we continue to see Christ with him describing himself as the water of life. The water of life. We're in week three of the woman at the well out of John chapter four. And please follow along as I read. We'll be focusing on verses 27 to 42, but I have a hard time just reading that section. I think we need to read the entire chapter again just to have context and be reminded what's going on. So follow along in your Bibles in front of you or a pew Bible, or if you're looking around, you're like, I don't have a Bible open yet and I don't see a pew Bible, there might be somebody beside you who you can just tap and share. Sharing is caring. Let's read. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was, was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. If you're catching up, John 4, verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true, the woman said to him. Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem where you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. 
Now, we're not done yet, but I do want to just take a quick moment to note that was what we focused on in week one and two, and we don't have time to go back and comment on everything there, but if you missed week one and two or one or the other, I encourage you, go to our YouTube, go to our church webpage or podcast, whatever you like. Let us know if you need help finding it, and go back and listen to it. It does help you understand what's going on here. But we continue on now in the scene at the well in verse 27 with our focus today. Just then, just then, his disciples came back. What perfect timing. One could say possibly godly timing, as if his disciples would have come back in the middle of that conversation. It could have spooked this woman away. It could have changed the entire nature of the conversation. But just then, as he's wrapping it up, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then, the disciples come. And we see the very first thing they do. I love this. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? The apostles, his disciples, they knew their place. They knew he has a reason. He knows what he's doing, and we need not correct him of all people. Even there, I don't have this road in my nose, but there's an application how often we try to correct God and what his plan is compared to just looking and listening and seeing what comes about. Why are you talking with her? Uh, let's go back. Then they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So just then, verse 28 of chapter 4, the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, I want to take a break. Just a quick one. Why did she leave her water jar? There have been many theologians, many pastors, many, many people who study God's word who have questioned this. And there's a few different theories. And I love some of these ideas. One would be that the woman was caught up in understanding there's a little bit of awkwardness now. Now these guys are here. What's going on? I need to escort myself out. I don't think that's it. And she just forgot her water jar. One would be that she was just so excited to go tell people as we're going to see that she left her water jar, forgetting it was even there, because she was excited about this newfound enlightenment, newfound knowledge she had. Another idea, and I like this idea. You know, Jesus started this whole conversation by asking for a drink. She's going off to tell the townspeople about who she saw, what's going on, could this be the Christ? She leaves the water jar behind in case he still wants that drink. Either way, it doesn't really matter, but what we do see is, and I believe, an excitement that she wants to go t show her townspeople what she's heard. And in verse 29, she says to the townspeople, to the village, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Can this be the Christ? It's intriguing how she put that. She doesn't just say, come see the Christ, the Messiah, the man claiming to be... I think she fully knows who this man is at this point, and she believes it. But this is kind of intriguing. One commentator states that some believe, and some translation put, that she went to tell the men of the city, not just, not just the people. Two interesting things there. One could be that the women would just immediately discredit her. Remember, she's an outcast in this village, a sinful outcast, an adulterous woman. So the women might just immediately discredit or not even listen to her, but she goes to the men possibly. It doesn't really matter. It's just intriguing to think about. And she says, could this be the Christ? 
She wanted to get them thinking, could it be? And again, she might have, she might have already lost all bit of trust for, for her to go right up into these people, these crowds, these, these townspeople and say, I found the Christ. They might just say, oh, really? Wow, you? Psh, whatever. But she says, could this be the Christ? And they go and check it out for themselves. But with an amazing testimony, which we're going to read about here. They go and investigate. Verse 30. They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, now remember, we have two separate scenes going on here. We have the townspeople, the Samaritans, who are coming to him while the disciples now are talking to Jesus, waiting. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. I mean, after all, that is why they disappeared to begin with. If you remember at the beginning, they had gone off into town to find food. But Jesus says to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? What's going on here? This is what we were doing. Now we come, he's already ate. I don't see food laying around. Jesus says to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. We'll talk more about this later. Let's continue on and finish this reading. Verse 35, do you not say there are yet four months? Then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. So that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here is the saying, which holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. It says, verse 40, now when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. Thank you for following along and what a message we have today. I don't know about you, it's already spoken greatly to me. God's word does not leave void. It always just gives us so much empowerment and wisdom for daily living. And many more believed because of his word. This isn't in my notes, but I want to note the first set of people coming to believe obviously come to Jesus because of our testimony. God wants us to use our testimony. He wants to use you. He wants you to share the story of how God has impacted your life. They say it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. How great is it that God just done that speaks through us through other people? God speaks to us and calls us directly. Isn't that great? Amen? Amen. Amen. Before we dive further into this text, I just want to talk to you about harvesting fields. Last week, the Fossums were out of town. They gave me the joy of, of inviting my family out to try and harvest some crops from the garden. And it reminded me of gardening when I was a child, when I was a kid. And 
I got to say, it's a lot of work, Dwayne. I don't know how you do it. To me, it's just, it's buggy, it's sweaty, it's hot, it's prickly. But it did remind me of some great memories. You see, when I was a child, we always had a garden. Every year that I can remember, we had a garden. And my dad still has a garden today. It's just shrunk and shrunk and shrunk over the years. Not having his kids around and not having grandkids around anymore to help harvest it. I think at first he continued trying to do a large garden. It just overgrew so much. He gave up. But I do remember the gardening, the garden throughout the year. And even throughout, throughout the ages, even throughout our ages growing up as kids, it changed in size. It started one size, and each year it grew. As each spring, we'd come together, my brothers and I and my dad, and sometimes my mom. I think this was more of the thing my mom just thought, whatever, that's their thing. I'll stay inside, let them sweat it out in the field. But anyways, we came together, and my dad would ask, what should we plant this year? And we would talk about all the things we wanted to plant. My dad was a very gracious man with his garden. And anything we could come up with just about, we planted. In Ohio, we did grow some good vegetables. We grew some big tomatoes, some little cherry tomatoes, of which I have to comment. My brothers and my dad, they would be walking the garden, tending the garden. They'd see those things. They would just pick them and plop them in. Ugh, not my thing. In fact, I mainly just was the one that each year said, can we plant sweet corn? Because that was probably about the only thing I liked at that age. But we had big tomatoes. We had little tomatoes. We had cherry tomatoes. We had green peppers. We had banana peppers. We had green beans. That was a lot of work. Wow, them green beans, they just went crazy. I remember for hours just breaking those things apart and putting them in buckets. We had lettuce. We had cabbage. We had sweet corn, we had watermelon, we had cantaloupe. I hear those don't do as good up here. We had cucumbers, we had zucchini. And let me say, for city folk, we could grow some vegetables. Which brings me to the point of this story. Harvesting the fields, the overly ripe fields. Harvesting the vegetables out of the garden. As great of a job as I think we did planting that garden each year. And I'm sorry, Dad or brothers, if you're listening, I don't think we did a good, as good of a job as harvesting. Because we, we sat down early on and we planned the planting. But we didn't really put on the calendar and plan the harvesting. It seems like every year what would happen, we'd go on our family vacation to Florida and we would come home to vegetables everywhere, a garden overgrown. You couldn't even find the rows anymore. And then we had to go searching for the harvest. But sometimes we didn't even have to search because the, the, the harvest was just so plentiful. You'd get home from Florida, from vacation, from Gatlinburg, Tennessee, from out west, wherever we were, we'd come home and we'd see the garden overgrowing so much that you found vines in the yard. And wow, these zucchini, and I'm not even exaggerating. This isn't a fish story. This is a farmer's story. Are they better? I mean, really, do farmers exaggerate? I don't know, but these zucchini, they were this big. The cucumbers, they were just about as big. It wasn't anything like the cucumbers we see at Walmart or Festival Foods. These were large. And then you'd find the watermelon, the cantaloupe. They were so big, they were about to explode. Some years, we'd have to lift up the bushes and, and look for them. But most years, they were obvious. We could look at the field, and we could see they were ready for harvest. 
transition us back to the story, back to today's message. The settings in, the setting now here in Bloomer, Wisconsin, the world, the harvest is ready. The harvest was ready then, it still is today. While Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, is speaking to the woman at the well, revealing his identity to the needy, sinful woman, the outcast, his disciples returned from their mission of buying food. And these disciples were astonished for two reasons. Easily seen, we could come up with more, but for two. A, Jesus is speaking to a Samaritan and a woman. And B, Jesus' lack of interest in food because he would say that he's being fulfilled in another way. By the Father's will. And this lays the foundation for a lesson of utmost importance, not just in the settings in, but now for us here today in Bloomer, Wisconsin, wherever else you may find yourself in. And that starts with number one there is a need for harvesters. If you're taking notes, there is a need for harvesters. We find ourselves reading about what many of this time would consider an insignificant village in an insignificant or unworthy nation back then. Yet Christ, the Messiah, our Lord, has chosen to enlighten the sinful woman, an outcast, with the message of salvation of living water. And many, many, many more would come to know him through this. Praise Lord, the message, the Savior of the world was not just for Jews any longer, but for Gentiles as well. And we still have a mission to go out and harvest What we focus on today is what we see happens after her enlightenment of who she is speaking with and the salvation message being delivered. The salvation salvation message she receives flows out of her and reaches others. And what I want you to see is how it flows out. Many will receive the Lord and it's as if it flows out of her like a fire hydrant gushing out water. Pastor Chuck, I wish your fire hydrant, wherever you are, you might have left for children's church, I wish... Pastor Chuck had this fire hydrant plan last month where he, was, he had the city who agreed to open up the fire hydrants for kids to play in the water. I've never done that, but I've seen it on TV and you see just the water gushing out. And I think that's what this woman's testimony was like. She was so excited about who she met, the one who told her everything, that she went into the village and she spewed out her testimony like a gushing out fire hydrant. John 4.39 tells us that many, yes, did you hear that word? Many. John 4.39 says, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. There's apparently a great need in this town for this message of salvation. A great need to hear that the Messiah has come for them as well as others. A great need for the town to hear of the living water, which they too can receive and can quench an eternal quench of thirst, which only he could provide. Eternal life. Many people would be saved. The lost would be found through Jesus. And the lost can still be found through Jesus There is still an amazing need today for people to hear the message. There is a need for harvesters. Now, I want to share just a little fact here. I want to talk about Bloomer, just Bloomer's need for this message and for harvesters. Bloomer has a great population of unchurched and unsaved individuals. There was at one time I was talking with another pastor in town, 
and he referred to the unsaved. He said, honestly, yes, there's obviously unsaved. There's unsaved everywhere, but he gave me this other word of unchurched. There's a lot of population of Bloomer that would claim to be Christians, but they're not church. They don't attend. What would active attendance be like, though, in Bloomer? I want you to count on your hands. How many churches can you think of in Bloomer, Wisconsin? Now, as you count, I want to say that I Googled this. And I love seeing that when you Google Bloomer, Wisconsin churches, Bloomer Baptist Church is the first one which comes up. And another interesting fact, when you Google Bloomer, Wisconsin churches, the name Carlson Eldon comes up with his address. Apparently, he's got a home church still. Praise God, we all should. Bloomer Baptist Church, Good Shepherd Lutheran, The Fountain, St. Paul's Lutheran, St. John's Lutheran, Our Savior's Lutheran, Bloomer United Methodist Church, the Assemblies of God, St. Paul's Catholic Church, Christ Lutheran, First Congregational, Eldon Carlson. If you add up all these churches, in the population of which you think they might be reaching in this town, and we could debate later if they're really declaring the true message of Christ and salvation through faith alone or not, not a works-based mentality of salvation, but faith, we could debate that later. But if you want to count, how many people do you think? I think I was pretty um, graceful when I, I added up numbers, how many people I think is in their congregation. And we live in a town of roughly, let's say, 4,000 people. And I came up with roughly 1,000 to 1,200 people that might be churched. So whether we're speaking of churched, unchurched, or unsaved. There are a lot of people in Bloomer alone which need to hear the message of Christ, the Savior of the world. What are we going to do about this? Well, I want to share first, number one, verse 35 says to look, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. So number one is simply we need to look, we need to open our eyes Open your eyes to Bloomer, but not just Bloomer. Open your eyes wherever you are and see the harvest that is right in front of us. Also understand that just as the garden sometimes requires us to move around, to lift up some vines and to search for those cucumbers which are hiding, you see the tomatoes, they're easy to find. You see this big red thing in the middle of green? For them green beans, those cucumbers, they're a bit harder. Sometimes we need to lift around. Sometimes we need to get into society, into culture, not being of the world, but being in the world so that we can find the harvest and tell them about Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Tell them about the cross. Tell them that God loves us so much that he sent his one and only son that through him we might have life, life abundantly. Tell them of their need for a Savior. That's the sinful ways of the world are not the way to heaven. It's the way to hell. We need God. We need Jesus. We need his mercy. We need his grace. We need the cross. Amen? The cross delivers a hope which the world all around us is looking for. This is our call. This is our mission. Look. Look. Lift up our eyes and see the fields and then harvest the the fields. Evangelize the lost to be found. Evangelize the lost to be found. Verse 35 says, not just to look, but to see that the fields are ripe. They're ready. 
for harvest. You see, I think that's a different step there because it's easy enough to just look and, and be naive to what's sitting in front of us. But we must open our eyes, look the hearts of all, and he knows that the fields were and are still ready. And that's why he calls us. In fact, many souls are waiting, ready, waiting to hear and receive the gospel. And he wants to use each of us to deliver that news to them. There is a better way. Would you like to hear it? Many are waiting for harvesters to harvest, to reap. And that's us. The fields are white, ripe to harvest. Let's talk about this. There's three main ideas I came up with here. Some commentators note that the text stating the fields are white could possibly indicate that the fields are overly ripe. And some may already be lost. I've been there. I've gone into the garden and find rotting, white, molded vegetables, and it's just too late for those. But I want to note that even if it's too late for some, it's not for others. And we never should give up. In fact, we must be ready and not wait for tomorrow to declare what needs spoken today. Other commentators state it could just be an indicator of the white clothing and the white hats of people in the fields which were already harvesting, or, which definitely could also be true, and I think very practical and applicable, the white Jesus speaks of could have been him looking and seeing the Samaritans in the fields walking towards him. Here's the point. All that stuff we just spoke of, It matters a little, but here's what matters most. Do not wait. There is a need for harvesting. Do not procrastinate as some do by saying that tomorrow, tomorrow will be the day that I will talk to so-and-so about Jesus. Tomorrow will be the day I will talk to someone about my testimony, my story, my Jesus. Give somebody a call today. Do not wait to say what you can and should say today. Today is the day. Serve God this day. Go and tell the world of your Savior and Lord of Jesus. Jesus tells his apostles to reap, to harvest, and we are also included in this today. We're told to go, to go. And in Revelation twenty-two seventeen, it speaks of this. Go and tell the world. In Revelation twenty-two seventeen, it says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. Let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Because Jesus was the price. And he offers this water of life, his life, eternal life, free. Number two, there is a reward for harvesters. We'll move a bit faster now. The reapers of the field would receive wages, payment. And there's also a reward for us as harvesters. There's great blessings. Verse 36 of John 4 states, Already the one who reaps, who harvests, is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. Every day God blesses those who serve him and we celebrate with him in the harvest and reaping. Every day we celebrate as we're being, we've already been rewarded this eternal life to which we're to go out and proclaim. And we should give thanks to the Lord for this. Psalm 105, 1 tells us, give thanks to the Lord. But I love, I love this second part. I wish I would have put it up here for you. Write it down in your notes for taking notes. Psalm 105, 1. Give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. If we're truly giving thanks to the Lord, if we're truly appreciating all he's done for us, we will go and tell of his deeds. 
go and tell of his deeds. The reaper, the gatherer, the reaper, the harvester is gathering fruit that lasts forever, remains forever. Every day we're being made more into the image of Christ and we have greatness to look forward to of being in his presence and his glory forever. I was speaking with somebody just this morning about the pains of growing older. And even though I'm only 37, I still am noticing some aches and pains. I think it's because somebody in this church keeps convincing me to do Tough Mudder races, Caleb. But we have a great blessing and reward for harvesters of knowing because of our salvation in him and because of doing his work, he blesses us. And we have eternal life with new bodies to look forward to. Let's move on. We also have the great blessing and reward of being able to celebrate together. And not just now, but eternally in heaven. You see, and finally, one more reward to mention, a specific reward or to go into greater detail with, is the great satisfaction, the great reward in knowing that God is using you, using us, using me, using all of us to deliver people into his marvelous light. First Peter tells us, God has brought you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. What a blessing to celebrate. What a blessing to declare. What a blessing to speak of. It's a blessing to share our stories and it's rewarding to speak of his greatness and the great work which he's done within us and that he's willing and wanting to do in the life of others. And God uses even this woman, this Samaritan woman, this sinful woman, this outcast woman to declare of the living water. She was a new believer and a Samaritan and a woman, yet she would go and bring these people to Christ. She wasn't formally trained, formerly trained, but she was willing and ready to submit to God and his equipping. If you're willing, if you're ready, if you're humbly ready to submit to God, he will do the equipping needed. Also, number three, the final number for today, we see the reward and the great joy in sharing the news. There is joy in harvesting. There's joy in reaping. God blesses us, the harvesters, reapers, with the joy of winning the lost, of finding the lost souls, he delivers us in front of us. He shows us, look, the harvest is here. But so often we might be waiting for this great harvest and failing to see the harvest is already ready. Dwayne, Joy, I want to tell you, and I thank you again for letting me go to your property and get a few cucumbers, some zucchini. We had fun out there. Not just myself, but with the Hammonds, went and got some zucchini. And there might not have been a huge harvest yet, I think we saved that for Brian and the Lundgren family. But we did take home a couple cucumbers, a couple of zucchini. We didn't leave it if it was ready. And I think we're leaving a lot of people today who are ready and waiting and needing the gospel because we're failing to look right in front of us at the people we work with or the neighbors that were uniquely godly, divinely placed to live by. Wherever we are, look for the harvest because it is there. There is joy in harvesting. And Jesus says that my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Let the joy of the Lord be your strength. 
the joy of the Lord and accomplishing his will, his work. Let it feed you. The spiritual fulfillment was more important than the physical for Christ. Fulfilling God's will was more a priority than his own will. And so it must be for us. So it must be for us. As I was doing vacation Bible school this week, sometimes I can get a bit grumpy because I'm hungry. Anybody else get hangry? Come on. Why is there only guys raising your hands? No, I'm joking. We can get hangry, and especially when we think, oh, I'm going through all this work with vacation Bible school, and I didn't have enough time to eat, or boy, I wish Lee would have made me a steak with this surf and turf. But what matters most isn't just finding fulfillment in this physical world, but the spiritual world and doing spiritual work, God's work. What a great joy it is to hear that through VBS, two kids, two kids accepted Christ as Lord. But you know what? I tell you, numerous others will. We know that for a fact, God will bring kids to know him. And some of these kids, seeds were sown that he will bring up and then he will deliver others. And it might be you. It might be you to harvest later. Look for these people. Charles Spurgeon once stated, and I put this quote up here for you. People think that if they could have their own way, they would be perfectly happy. And their dream of happiness consists in this. That their wishes will be gratified, their own longings fulfilled, and their desires granted to them. This is all a mistake. A person will never be happy in this way. Perfect happiness is to be found in exactly the opposite direction. Namely, in the casting down of our own will entirely and asking that the will of God may be fulfilled in us. Have you ever noticed that when we place our, our fulfillment in things of this world, we're never fulfilled because the moment we get that thing, there's something else. There's something else. Find fulfillment in God, his will, his work, his calling. Find fulfillment in the appreciation you have for what he's done through you and in you. I have breaking news for you and we're wrapping up here. Accomplishing the work of God brings joy to us, A, as we know we are pleasing him who first cared and loved us and created us, and B, as we find joy in now showing his care to others too. Find the joy in these things. Look and see that the fields, the harvesters are needed and it's ready, it's there. Go and tell the world, the harvesters, the reapers, we have the joy of pleasing God in doing these things. And wow, what a joy it is. I mean, we think of how much of a joy it is when we make our parents happy, our brothers, our sisters happy, our students happy, our co-workers happy. Find joy in pleasing God and doing his work. Find fulfillment in this. Finally, the joy of the harvester is seen in the great privilege and blessing of celebrating the harvester with the harvesting with others. Find joy in celebrating together. Just as the angels celebrate new life in Christ, we too should be celebrating that every single day God is bringing newness of life to new individuals. The wicked, they too will receive their reward. But we need not focus so much on them. They will receive their dues as well. But the fields, they are to be harvested to save God's chosen now. Let's focus on them. 
Focus on them. Focus on them. Be like the Samaritan woman and go and tell the village and start with Bloomer. Her interaction with Jesus radically changed her life. And it shows there's an evidence for her newness of life seen here. Her passion, her excitement was like a gushing fire hydrant. She could hardly wait to tell the people in town. She even left her jar behind. I don't know about you. I struggle with that sometimes. I struggle with thinking I need to do this. I need to do that. I need to do this. I can't do this until I've done this, but sorry, jar. You're, in, you're unimportant to me now. Go and tell the world. What's your passion like? What's your excitement like? What's your joy like? Where are you finding these things? Because to tell Bloomer, to tell the world of the Savior of the world, we must focus on the Savior of the world. Are we ready to look up? Are we ready to see the fields which are ready for harvesting? Are we ready to go? Are we ready to speak? In John 4, 42, we see the first time Jesus is referred to as the Savior of the world. Let's continue with this message to others today. That the Savior isn't just for you. The Savior isn't just for me. The Savior isn't just for one type of people, one group. The Savior is for the world And he wants you to know about him. He wants you to accept him. Let's close and pray together. And I know we're running late, but I still want to have one closing song. Austin, I'll let you pick. I know you had two songs yet to do, I believe. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, that you never give up on the harvest. Not yet. We're in a period of grace, of mercy. And you want us to go and tell the world of your son, Jesus. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for us. Thank you for living a sinless, perfect life and being the blemishless lamb that we need. Lord, please forgive us of our sins and help us now to trust in you in all we do every day of our life. May we follow you as Lord and Savior. And then may we go and tell others, like that gushing fire hydrant, gushing water out, may we go into relationships you place us in and tell them about Jesus. It's in your holy and powerful name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. If you said that for the first time today, it's not about a prayer. It's about what you're admitting, what you're confessing with your mouth. Jesus is Lord. See me after church. If you need somebody to talk to, see me after church. If you need somebody to pray with, see me after church. Talk with somebody. Let's raise and stand and sing together. Yet not I, but through Christ in me.
Yet not I, but through Christ in me. May that be the message we have every single day of our lives. We have a harvest and we have a message. Go, look, and tell. Amen? Thank you.